<laughs> hey, hey, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, Zach, are you over your January blues? Uh, no. It's halfway. It's halfway over. No, that's not how it works. It's how it works. You're almost there. No. No, I, it, it ends when January ends, and then I start February blues. <laughs> oh, it goes into February? It goes into February, and then that's about halfway through February, I get over those. Okay, so around Valentine's Day, it picks up. Maybe a little after Valentine's okay, Day. Okay, not even Valentine's oh, Wow. Yeah, maybe after that. Because I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. The light at the end. Of, what about you, Anthony? Are you still ridiculously optimistic yeah i'm chipper as ever okay i'm good to go okay well that's good news we yeah. got a uh you know welcome to freightonomics oh yeah should yeah. intro the show yeah, right we should intro the show <laughs> now that we've got what are we watching over. yeah freightonomics where we talk about freight and economics together right and we try to make it relatable talking about what's going on in the market today uh, as it pertains all the macroeconomic functions and how they pertain to the freight industry as well as the freight industry and how it is relating to the overall big picture. Right. Uh, so we do some deep dives into uh, various topics and subjects. Uh, this is our fourth episode. Yeah. Fourth episode. And today, Anthony, what are we going to talk about? We're talking about a lot of California. Like, we're going to have an, a macro overlook, but yeah. we're also touching on California. I think you have a few shat, uh, stats to share with us. Um, I've got a few. I got, I got stat he- happy. So is, uh, I got stat happy <laughs> is California the, the January of the states for you or? Uh, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, but not, not entirely. That's not inaccurate. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't just detest California. Uh, but, this, the California market is one of the single most important markets in the freight industry. Yeah. Uh, whether you like it, love it, hate it, indifferent, it has a huge impact, uh, whether you like it or not, on the freight market in general. Yeah. Uh, especially as it pertains to truckload and over-the-road trucking. But even those carriers that are, you know, sit over there in the southeast or the northeast and think, I'm very insulated from California. What goes on over there doesn't in- affect me. I'm going to explain to you why you are slightly mistaken. Okay. Yeah, today. But uh, California is one of the bigger uh, economies in the United States, is it not, Anthony? It is. Um, I think I, so I misspoke, uh, I think, earlier on when I wasn't sure about California's population. I, well, I knew it was large. I knew it was up there, but I thought it was just behind Canada. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's approaching, it might already be at 40 million. Oh, that's the GDP. That's that's the that's the the population. Oh, the population. Yeah. Okay. I was like, well, that that's that doesn't seem that, that seems small. a bit off. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's like forty million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought it was just like just under the Canadian population. So the okay. Canadian population's at thirty-seven. Oh, oh, I got you. Million or so, but yeah, it's a it's a small country or yes. a a a, ma- a mid-sized country. Is it not a republic? The Republic of California. Yeah. I'm sure a good one third of the people yeah. from California would <laughs> would argue that, and I think <laughs> yeah. another of them would want to distinct uh, or really section themselves off from other Californians. Okay. So, yeah. So we're going to hit, we're going to dissect this state. Yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about all the different markets and the different areas of it uh, as much as we can in an hour. We obviously could spend days talking about (laughs) California, but I don't really want to do that either. Okay. But we're going to talk about how it interconnects with the market and how, what, why that's important today in January. Right. Uh, and we're also going to talk about some reefer activity, yeah. Uh, because that's a good transition from California to reefer activity. <laughs> and then you're going to hit up some macro reporting, some macro stuff, yeah. yeah. And I might have a, a few some, West Coast gems, yeah. And we've had we've had some pretty decent positive uh, reports on the yeah. macro side of like, yeah. have we not? We've had a couple, mm-hmm. um, a lot pertaining to, of course, the consumer side of things. Yeah. manufacturing you know you well, know they're, they're gonna keep spending their money oh yeah but the manufacturing side you you we've got positive information on manufacturing um well we have the phase one deal yeah which some of it is gonna some manufacturing is gonna get in, involved in that um okay. a lot of agriculture stuff but yeah we have a we have a few talking points today all right all right well let's dive on into this california freight market let's hear it so uh california currently has the largest outbound freight volume in the United States in the combined markets of Los Angeles and Ontario, California. So the Southern California markets occupy approximately 5.91% 
of the overall outbound volume in the United States. That's currently. Okay. Uh, it was averaging almost 8% of the entire country's volume, which would have been the largest by a country mile. Now, I, I did combine these two markets for this purpose because they do, you know, our markets in our system, which comprise of, you know, it's basically like they split uh, L.A. in half yeah. effectively to divide up those volumes because they are so large. Uh, just for the purposes, you know, you have the coastal volumes and then you have the uh, inland volumes, you know, the ones around Fontana, yeah. uh, Ontario, which is a huge industrial uh, epicenter for, uh, you know, DCs and warehouses and all the storage. And that's largely due to the port uh, presence there. Yeah. You know, most of the freight that we have in this country comes in through China. Right. Um, I, I shouldn't say the most of the freight. I should say. Most of the imported freight yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. we have in this country comes through China. Uh, and roughly a third, if not larger, is imported into the country gotcha. uh, in the overall freight market. So, And Los Angeles is the largest uh, area for that activity, even though it has been diminishing over the last little bit. So on top of that, so you also have, to the north of that, you have San Francisco and Stockton. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about those independently of this. I'm going to start off with some Southern California market stuff, and then I'm going to digress into the Northern California market, Yeah, where we will then also hit on the Fresno, Central California Valley, which I'm going to treat slightly independently. Going to cr make them on their own little island out okay. there. Okay. Okay. I'm Even sure they would appreciate you for that. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, a lot of those, a lot of that, uh, you've seen the political demographic out there. You've got the the blue yeah. down there around L.A., and you got the red in the middle of the state. So mm -hmm. they're probably okay with it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they're, <laughs> they're right on board with this. All right. So largest market in the country in Los Angeles and Ontario. Second, of course, is the Chicago Joliet area, which occupies roughly about 3.5% of the total outbound volume in the country. Now, yeah. Chicago and Joliet, a lot of that freight originates in L.A., now, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of mixed results on some of this research that I didn't quite get to finish, mm -hmm. but there is a pr big chunk of this freight volume that impacts. I think it's roughly 15 to 20 percent. Uh, and this is preliminary uh, results from this that I was trying to I was trying to tie together the rail and the truckload volume in this uh, particular study. But it looks like about 14 to 20 percent of yeah. the freight originating from Chicago has at some point been in Los Angeles. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, I will certainly follow up and make sure that I did not, you know, forget to do that, subtract something. Right. 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 <laughs> um, but this is one of the biggest reasons that California is a big freight market. Yeah. Um, in your, in your travels, what do you, you know, have you, have you, I mean, you, you grew up out on the West coast. Yeah. I spent some time, uh, Arizona for about eight years, five years in New Mexico, go Aggies. <laughs> there you go. But in, in your travels out there, I mean, it, you can kind of tell that that area of the country is, I mean, it, it rules the West, is it not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything that you do out there is like pivotal on Los Angeles. Yeah. Because you have such huge gaps of space, uh, population, you know, they, yeah. empty space. Empty there. space all between, yeah. And you have to go, you know, you have to go four or 500 miles just to get to the next city. Right. You know, unless you're in L.A., which you have to go four to 500 miles to get out of it. Right, right, right. <laughs> Exaggerating, obviously. <laughs> but uh, that that's that's kind of the, the point here. So, so a few more stats. So 64 percent of all the volume in uh, California comes out of this of these two markets. Yeah. Um, some of that's interstate, uh, approximately 52 percent of the freight that originates in California is interstate volume. So you can apply that to that 64% of all the freight out of California comes out of Los Angeles. Uh, it's a big number. Um, it is, you know, the biggest non-intrastate lane as a destination is the, you want to, you want to guess? Non-intrastate lane? Non-intrastate. So does not go from like Los Angeles to Sacramento. Don't look, don't cheat. Sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Largest intrastate lane. Largest non-intrastate. So it's leaving mm. the state of California. What's the biggest one? I'm guessing we'd probably go to outside of California. I'm guessing we'd go to Yuma. It's, well, you're close, but not Yuma. It's going to be, well, I guess technically you're right because Yuma's in the Phoenix market. Yeah. So the Phoenix market is the uh, largest interstate okay. lane Okay. Uh, as a destination. And then this one kind of shocked me. Uh, Seattle showed up as you know one of the biggest lanes i guess it was yeah it was the third uh los, An las vegas 
which is not surprising. Then right. Seattle showed okay. up as third, I should say, as the uh, the biggest destination lane, which I'm a little shocked at that, but I guess it makes sense. I was, uh, you know, when I worked in the space back in the day, we definitely had, I mean, we had Los Angeles as a, a hub for yeah. the West Coast, if yeah. you will, and we had everybody go. Um, basically, we just originated a bunch of freight into, you know, all these markets, Salt Lake City, Denver, Las Vegas, um, Phoenix, yeah, all those markets were, were big inbound points from LA. So I guess it makes sense because we set it up that way. Right. Why else would we do that except for the fact that that's the natural flow of freight in right. the United States? Right. So, uh, Seattle being number number three was a little shocking because you, I guess it's not that shocking because it's heavy inbound, huge backhaul market. Gotcha. Not a lot of freight coming out. Right. A lot more freight going in. Right. Uh, et cetera. So that, that's not that shocking. So, another fun fact about the Los Angeles market. It is the number one outbound container uh, market in the United States. Did you know that? Yeah. So rail volumes in general, intermodal rail volumes, I should say. Uh, it's the number one outbound point in the United States, and it's followed closely by Chicago. So it's really like an all-in-one. It's a hub. It's a huge hub. It's a hub. It's a, it's a hub. Surprise. Huge origination <laughs> point. Well, you think about it, it makes total sense. Yeah. You've got rail that travels super long distances. It's cost effective in general. Um, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of this freight that's coming in off the port is not service, you know, intensive. You know, we had Mike Bodendistel on here a few weeks ago right. uh, talking about some of their service concerns on the rail. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you can put it on the rail mm -hmm. and forget about it for a, a week or so. It'll get to a point and then you dray it and pull it off and it can it, it can take its time going across the country. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? And, you know, a lot of those intermodal volume, those containers are designed to go on rail. They don't necessarily want to put them on all those chassis on the trucks. So, again, long distances, cost effective. Why not send it on the rail? Go to the East Coast in Chicago. Yeah. Now, uh, something that, you know, I, I say Chicago, too, because everybody thinks Chicago is this big freight hub in the United States. Right. And, and what have I said the last couple of times? You've got, you've got all this volume going to Chicago from Los Angeles. So yeah. you're sitting out there and you think, oh, Los Angeles, that doesn't have anything to do with me. I operate out east. Yeah, yeah. Well, the rail volumes are down uh, going into the, the Chicago or out of Los Angeles year over year. And the Chicago volumes are subsequently down. Yeah, that makes sense. Coming out. So on a rail perspective, the outbound container volumes are down 7%. Out of L.A. year over year, okay, roughly 7% uh, versus this time last year. And then you have the Chicago market, which is roughly 20% down on the rail volume year okay. over year. So huge downstream impact. Yeah. Uh, you know, rail vo uh, volumes have been down off the ports uh, for a while now, you know, year over year wise, uh, months on end, uh, because we're, we've got a pretty tough comp with all the trade war and the pull forward type right. activity. Right. Uh, so the Chicago market having that impact, especially a lagging impact, uh, is is a big deal. Um, the maritime side, so Los Angeles, Port, like I said, Port of Los Angeles, yeah, Long Beach. We kind of consider them the same thing. They're separate entities and technically, but they're right next to each other. <laughs> they don't consider themselves the same thing. No, no, not at all. Not, not, at, not all. at all. So I won't, I won't, I won't make them uh, be in the same boat. But no. they are. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> there I see what you did there. there. A lot of that, a lot of that does uh, overlap. So the two ports of Los Angeles and uh, Long Beach, uh, approximately 34 to 35% of the nation's import maritime volume. Wow. That's a lot. That's yeah. You know who's second? Is it somewhere else in California? No. Is it New York? It's New York. Okay. It's New York. But it's a paltry 17.58%. And that's, that's the port a, of New, New York, New Jersey. So that's a pretty significant drop-off. Yeah. Compared. And we, we talk about how, you know, I, I think we get lost sometimes talking about how China is losing this market share. And Los Angeles and you know is losing market share to mm -hmm. the East Coast and all this kind of stuff. We have to remember what the scale is that these two areas of the country or the world and the country yeah. ha have like they have been developing this for decades at this point. So right. they have a large amount of volume coming out of China, going into Los Angeles. That's just not going to go away overnight. Right. You know, New York may be the hot item or the East Coast may be the hot item today, but it's still got a long way to go before it even begins to scratch the surface of what L.A. Long Beach has, has done. Um, again, that's an important note uh, in terms of, you know, you just have so much infrastructure. Have you have you Google mapped uh, 
Los Angeles recently. Not on purpose, no. Yeah, I wouldn't. Not, say, not on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say you would, but I no. do that sometimes because I'm kind of a geek that way. Oh goodness. Yeah. I don't know if I like with this. Okay. <laughs> what did you see when you <laughs> Google Map? Well, Was it, I, it's just a ton of just manufacturing. It's and it's the sea of white. Yeah. Just sea of white, like rooftops. Yeah. Flat rooftops. You can go on Google Maps, you know, and you'll see these green trees in the rural areas and the deserts, and mm-hmm. you get these, you know, cool little geographic features, but. I go in there and I look for DCs. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And warehouses. And, I like it. And uh, if you look at just the Ontario, Fontana, San Bernardino area, it is nothing but just oceans of DCs and warehouses. Gotcha. And so people can't simply just say, you know what? I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to go on over here now and have, you know, these huge square footage facilities, yeah. you know, positioned, especially geographically desirable to, you know, the container movements. Uh, coming off the port. Gotcha. So they can't, they can't just up and move. You know, they can't put it on the truck and say, "All right, we're going to go up here now." Yeah, no, that's not how it works. Yeah, but it is insane. If you if you ever out in L.A. or Ontario, I mm-hmm. should say, uh, drive just drive down that road. There's a road there. I forget the name of it, but it is just straight up, just warehouse row, literally. Really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I respect the. I mean, the dedication where you know you're you're on. Mm-hmm. Google Maps, you're, you're you're scoping out the area and all that. I mean, yeah. it's admirable. I I, I got to know what what's going on, why things are yeah where they are yeah. That's that intellectual <laughs> curiosity that really drives uh, the analysis and yeah. progress forward. Yeah, and I guess for those of you that are interested in some other market shares, and again, all most of this data, I guess all the data I've said so far is available in our Sonar platform. Yeah, um, you know, I get into that data pretty deeply. Yes, hence my nickname, the Sultan, <laughs> yeah. the Sultan of Sonar, right. Uh, the Savannah market is sitting been at growing th- a lot. Yeah, number three, but it is only seven point three percent. These sound like just like little league numbers in comparison. Yeah, I mean you've got thirty five percent of the market yeah. uh, imports coming in through one little area, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, these guys are there too. Yeah, yeah. But you know they've got. I mean they've been developing this for years. Like I said, Savannah's really grown over the last, uh, you know, several years. They've been on a up or a extreme upward trajectory over right. the last five but um i got a long way to go if they want to compete with, with the likes of beach. california yeah. uh but you know all's not rosy in california you don't say yeah there's they they, they are uh, literally just you know as an operator in the space for a few years there's regulations on top of regulations and i am not going to get political here yeah yeah <laughs> uh but there are significant challenges to operating in California versus the rest of the country. Right. Uh, I think the one that we've talked about most recently is AB5. Yeah. Uh, Assembly Bill 5. I uh, wrote an article about it over the weekend. Not necessarily the art, the, you know, the regulation itself or the proposed law itself, but just the response to the, of the freight market around this. And basically the premise is maybe people have already, we've already seen impacts of this proposed legislation yeah. in front of the implementation, which is not, I think we talked about it on the webinar the other day. Yeah. Uh, that's not necessarily, it shouldn't be that shocking. Yeah. You know, that carriers out there, we talked about prime uh, offering a 6,000, you know, person relocation yeah. package yeah. to some of these owner operators to move out of California. Right. Just so they don't have to take them on as full-time employees because they don't want to be full-time employees right. either. Right. Uh, Cause then they lose their flexibility. And the fact that they can just say, like, you know what? I don't have to haul your freight today. Yeah. I'm going to go do this thing over here. But at the same time, they would have to turn themselves into, like, a, an LLC or something to effectively right. operate in the state. And they don't want to do that. There's costs involved, all this kind of stuff. So AB5, AB again, got a stay of execution for another 14 days. Okay. So yeah. they're not uh, – they're, they're, there's not an anticipated uh, full-on impact of that going to happen right now. Uh, but we think that there is some evidence that there has been a, a bit of a capacity reduction in the California market. Yeah. As some of these carriers, you know, even though they maybe they thought that they weren't going to win this or they, they weren't going to lose this in the long run. But it's one of those situations where, you know, having experienced this in the past uh, with numerous, you know, there's just so many regulations in California that increase your cost of operation. Right. Um, if, uh, you know, there's, there's regulations in terms of lunch breaks and all this kind of stuff that you have to follow to a T. And if you don't follow them precisely, you're basically legally liable. Um, we had somebody, uh, effectively not take a lunch break 
uh, for a few days. Right. And then he turned around and said, wait, you weren't letting me take a lunch break because wow. we didn't enforce his documentation of him taking lunch breaks. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. And, and, and so it's little stuff like that. And yeah. it opens up again. This wasn't a nuclear verdict, but it was, you know, I think most, a lot of people would put it on the same scale as a, did uh, I just see a Dooner sneaking did. by? A Dooner got running is wild. That, is there a Dooner running wild? <laughs> it's not your time, Dooner. <laughs> this isn't your office. <laughs> the, uh, but it was on the same scale. You remember the, the legal verdict years ago about the lady that sued McDonald's for the hot cup of yeah, coffee? Yeah. This is what this felt like. I mean, I know a lot of the, you know, a lot of the drivers out there did not really enjoy this because it made their lives that much harder. Yeah. Uh, because he's, they, here. I, he's here. He's here. He's here. Let's tilt this down a little bit for right. you. Yeah, look beautiful. Thank you, <laughs> man. I needed that boost. <laughs> <laughs> needed that today for yeah, your January blues. I did. I did. So the you know a lot of the people around it didn't like this because once somebody makes a complaint like that and then they do incur that you know they do have a lawsuit. There's more costs involved. Now we have to you know put these reserves back into insurance and say okay. Now we have increased liability. Insurance companies take this all into account. Yeah. They increase our insurance on this type of stuff. But we have to now put more money back because of these, you know, lawsuits or, you know, potential for violation. Yeah. Uh, so all these regulations add up and effectively make it very difficult for a carrier to want to operate in the state, number one. Yeah. I mean, they simply have to because of the it's almost It's an additional barrier to entry. Yes. Yeah. And, Big time. And, but at the same time, when you have one state operating so dis disparately to mm -hmm. the rest of the country, uh, you see this in the housing market. Yeah. That's California housing prices. Like yeah. People will, you know, unless you've grown up there or live there or inherit, you know, have basically developed your net value and your property mm -hmm. over time, uh, you have a lot of trouble moving into that state. Yeah. And purchasing a house. What are, I mean, house prices out there right now. Yeah, they're up there. I mean, especially when you get to like those larger metropolitan areas. Yeah. Um, and there are a few, I mean, since you brought up the topic, yeah. California, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> okay. I mean, there, there are, there are a few regulations. And as you mentioned, I'm not going to get political with any of these stuff. No. So I'm going to stay out of that, but leave that for Thanksgiving dinner. But I'll leave it for Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. I am from my economic standpoint, from yeah. my mind, I'm not a fan of regulation. Um, I'm not just saying, Hey, run wild, all that stuff. But <laughs> a lot of times when we see regulation or certain types of innovation or and really government stepping in or any kind of part that's outside of the market stepping in, it, uh, kind of starts to try to push and pull levers that are a little bit more complicated than this one thing. And then we have this spin out effect of every other thing that are, that's been kind of impacted that hasn't really been, uh, considered right. too, too strongly. Um, one of the areas that uh, we were recently seeing in California is something that's kind of being a mandate uh, as of January 1st. It's a solar mandate. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Um, so set to go, in fact, it's going to be a solar mandate that all new builds and some of the low-rise apartments are going to be required to have solar panels on their roof. You know, this is an interesting topic to me because I, I read an interesting article over Christmas about um, the uh, Pacific Utility Company. What's it? Uh, what's the? Uh, it's the one that all the wildfires are being blamed on because mm. of faulty infrastructure. Uh, golly, of course I'd forget it right now, but I wasn't planning on talking about them yeah. <laughs> today. But uh, you know about all the wildfires and the electrical infrastructure. Well, a lot of the regulations specifically around the environment mm -hmm. have actually led to some of these wildfires effectively. Like yeah. You, you can cite them as like contributing factors at least. Yeah. Uh, as the state has tried to become, you know, a leader in terms of green, uh, you know, di directives yeah. and, and, and driving towards a more uh, environmentally friendly uh, state in general. Well, um, you know, there was a, uh, you know, mandate they can't, they control burns are no longer a thing. So what does that do? That leaves to uncontrolled burns. Exactly. <laughs> uh, there, there was, uh, there had to be so much of their power coming from green sources. Yeah. Well, the that sounds great on the surface, but the back end of that is that it simply wasn't ready infrastructure right. wise, and it also increased the cost. So they weren't ready to upgrade their equipment, move it into this. You know, you have a 
you know, all sorts of things that come along with this that simply aren't as simple as flipping a switch and saying, oh, yeah, it's time for it. Yeah. Uh, versus not. And, you know, as much as I don't want to breathe in the, <laughs> in the tuner, just, <laughs> he can't stay away. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he can't stay away. As much as I don't want to breathe in carbon monoxide from coal plants yeah. and, and stuff like that, it's, <laughs> it's effectively, it's effectively, you know, you have to take into more into account than simply like turning off the coal plant. There has to be a transition plan. There yeah. has to be a full scope of, you know, any kind of project management out there. But again, I want to hear more about the solar initiative. I don't think you do, Zach. Cause yeah. one of the things that <laughs> I, I get frustrated when I hear about it. So, okay. um, again, I don't like inefficiencies in the marketplace. I just want the people to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. with limited or any kind of like uh, you know people stepping in and saying hey don't do this mm-hmm. um so one of the things that i've been talking about for housing at least is that um there is a, a strong demand home purchasing sentiment is high oh man um, you had to bring the feelings i had back to bring it. it i had to bring the feelings back in so there's a demand for homes especially demand for homes in large metropolitan areas california lots of metropolitan areas lots of demand for homes there so one of the things that um, this new mandate would do, builders estimate that it could add up to eight thousand to ten thousand dollars per home. Um, now that's a significant add when one of the largest demand segments for homes is coming from that entry level uh, starter point, and so that is going to make it more difficult for prospective home buyers to buy a home if it's going to be a new home. Of course, there's existing home stock there, but that inventory has been drawn down. Um, so we're looking at a lot of just like more roadblocks. Do you think for, it'll, do you think it'll hurt the overall economy out there? Do you think it'll, I mean, they, they tend to lend money, uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that they tried to do to prep, um, for this mandate was, um, there's some tax benefits. Yeah. A lot of tax benefits, yeah. things like that. But it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, go like January 1st start. And so I think there, I, I think. The, the, the incentive is good. You know, I like the benefits. I don't like mandates. No. I like incentives. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I get the incentivization. Um, I don't know if that's a word. Incentivizing. Incentivizing. I like that better. Um, (laughs) we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, but I don't like, uh, like you said, the mandates. And so, um, one of the things that they did do was have a lot of incentives going up leading into the actual mandate. And I think that's one of those things that they're like, all right, it's going to ramp up. So it's not going to be such a huge um, burden or like a really wild uh, ad when we when we have that mandate. But I, I don't see this as being conducive of more construction activity. You know, I'm going to pull it back to football. Yeah, because I love football. Yeah. I know you love football. I enjoyed it. Every yeah. <laughs> go, go Aggies. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I was trying to stay up and watch the, uh, the national championship this week. Yeah. You know, on Monday, <clears throat> I didn't make it because I can't stay up till midnight on Monday anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I got a job and I'm tired and I wish they would stop doing championships on Monday, but mm-hmm. here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the more rules and regulations they put into football, the more complicated it gets, the more complex it gets. Yeah. It really takes away from the enjoyment of the game. Now, again, there's safety concerns and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And they, they do a real, they, I think they do a better job, honestly, of mm-hmm. implementing the rules versus, you know, government in general, yeah. uh, creating these laws. But, you know, when they make one that's maybe not so good and it doesn't perform its intended purpose, they mm-hmm. will take it out. Yeah. yeah. You know, they'll pull it back and say, you know what, that didn't work as intended. You know, safety wasn't increased, et cetera. But with government, the process is a lot slower because you yeah. have a lot more people involved. And once you put something in, you you just can't it's real hard to just yeah, pull it, it out. out. Yeah. And this is this is the problem with you know you know California's legislation in general is mm-hmm. that they they see a problem and they try to attack it at you know basically the top level and say, well, carbon monoxide bad. What creates carbon monoxide? Coal. Yeah. No more coal. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like trying to reposition, you know, and and maybe a more, it might take a little bit longer term, but it's not going to be as, you know, you still don't have the fall, the unintended fallout, which is what has happened with this AB5 situation. Yeah. Um, You have the, you know, a bunch of people making laws for an industry that they don't have any experience in and they're thinking, oh, 
there's all, you know, we've heard this one case, yeah. you know, where it didn't work out for this group of people and that's bad. Mm-hmm. So therefore all of the situations around that one case are now bad. Right. And so you start kind of recklessly throwing laws at it. Yeah. And you and I both know, I, I can't count that many absolute <laughs> things on, you know, in my, in my head. You yeah. Know, I could yeah. probably count them on like one hand yeah. in terms of this is always or never, you know, yeah. you always heard your, your mom or dad say, yeah. don't say always or never or yeah. your teacher. Yeah. And, and that's effectively what they've done with some, like the more laws you have, the more exclusive you become. Right. Um, so you're excluding a certain group of people. You might not realize they even are being excluded yeah. because you just don't know, you don't see it. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this AB5 is doing. And, you know, I don't think it's going to get implemented, but several carriers on top of that, just like with the, the environmental stuff, there's these unintended fallouts, this group of people that you've now probably upset. Yeah. Maybe the, some of them can adjust, uh, but, you know, in the long run, the more of these laws you have, and if you're not willing to go back and analyze your results, make amendments, adjustments, and yeah. make adjustments, because they don't, that's the problem is that they don't pull them back. Yeah. You know, they all just leave in and then they just re, they just add more and more onto it. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I think we should work on as a country in general, not just. Yeah, and that, that, that drives spending. Yeah. <laughs> the roof. Uh, through the roof. See what which, I did there? Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is good for the economy right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you're, 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 you're propping it up so much that like, you know, I talked about with your housing, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have somebody enter California and just say now, and what do we, what did we have happen in 2008, 2009? Refresh my memory. It was a recession. And what was the main cause of that recession? It was a financial bubble and, uh, really poorly backed mortgages and housing. housing and <laughs> and what were the biggest, together. what were the biggest states hit? Uh, California. Oh, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's because you have a state that's increasing its cost disproportionately to the rest of the United States. Yeah. Now you can have that to an extent, but you cannot have that much disparity, yeah. um, you know, happen that fast. Right. Um, you know, you have a lot of people moving out of California that can pay cash for any house mm-hmm. throughout the middle of the country. Yeah. And they do that and they drive up prices in those areas slowly. Yeah. But it's, you know, that's, that's fine. But when you have it being that disp- disparate, and this is what happens operationally from a trucking company's perspective. Yeah. So now instead of wanting to operate in California, they figure out ways around operating in California mm-hmm. and they can get around it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that's the big thing about regulations is that mm-hmm. people are smart. Businesses are smart. They always find loopholes. They always find a way to exploit the system and like, Hey, you said this is this, but you didn't cover this. And so this is my loophole around it. And mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what's going to happen with some of these um, potential mandates for solar panels on um, new homes being built in, in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also more. Oh, more. more. Uh, so this one isn't a, a mandate. This okay. is a longstanding push for uh, a regulation. And so. I get both sides of these things. Like, so with the solar panel, I get where the heart is. You want to do more. You want to do the right thing. And you want to force more people to take action. And so um, this one is called Senate Bill 50. I've been watching it for some time now. Um, But it's essentially, it's in California. And it's a longstanding bill for a few years in the making that will override local zoning and authorization um, laws to, to really permit buildings um, to kind of raise up a little bit, build up, so to speak, um, and, and kind of build around some of those regulations that has n- not authorized construction and, and many. Wow. Um, yeah. It seems really unsafe. It, it, I mean, <laughs> just add, add another story or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just add another story or two. And so this will also be around um, transit stops. So, the, the idea, I think, here is to reduce the increased amount of traffic because I don't think uh, California needs any more traffic. No. Um, <laughs> but this is a, a a potential bill that's in the works. It's been in the works for a while. And so this is essentially going to allow um, what it would allow is for denser populations in some of these uh, metropolitan cities. And so um, proponents for it, um, people for it, they say that it, there's a, a lot of land. There's a significant amount of buildable land in major cities and uh, around those major cities that are really locked up due to these regulations Green in place. Regulations. And so, um, this would open that up. And okay. so 
Some are, are, are against it, of course. You know, say it's already congested. Um, this is going to increase some of the prices for some of the locals there. Um, as more people kind of enter the market, more 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 businesses headquarter themselves around there. And let me ask you this: Do you think this is a good good bill or a bad bill, or is it indifferent? I mean, is there? <sighs> I don't. I just don't know what. I'm sitting here thinking about what would what would I do? Yeah. And you don't really want to discourage growth, right? But at the same time, you don't really want to over stuff an area. Yeah, yeah. Because naturally, you would think people would just leave. Yeah. You know, if they get sick of traffic, what do they do? They move anyway. It, sometimes. Yeah, Except I mean, for New York, you just, oh, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. This is life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, you still see, we're seeing, I think, uh, people are moving out of the cities. You know, yeah. they've done the the studies here recently. At least I read a few studies. And again, these aren't all inclusive. But Lots of the Midwest, right? A lot of people are moving out of the bigger cities now. The yeah. millennials. Yeah. Your group of. Sup, fam transients, <laughs> uh, they're, they're moving out of the big city. Yeah. Uh, and again, a lot of that's based on technology. You right. know, we're growing, you, ha- you can work remotely now. Uh, you don't have to be in a centralized location anymore. Um, so it's interesting to me that, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're trying to figure out ways to improve upon the infrastructure, uh, you know, in the city for people to continue to live there when yeah. some of the studies are actually saying that this is not the case. Right. Right. And, it's going to be, it's going to be a hard one. It's going to mm-hmm. be a hard one. Um, I definitely, like I said, I get it. You want to, I, w- I want to see that where people can navigate and move to the places they want to live and find available housing, especially in California where there's such a, a housing shortage. And so I, I, I get that. I also understand the as- aspect of, you know, maybe I, in Boston, parking was atrocious. And I would hate to go to California where some parts are just so open and spacious. And now it's just this congested uh, concrete jungle. And that I, I get it. I get it. And especially like single family homes, suburbs and stuff right. like that, that move to the suburbs for that reason um, to kind of get away from all that. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, that that. It's hard to imagine that that place can handle any more people. Yeah. It, you know? Yeah, just build up. Yeah. So, you know, digressing a little bit back to the, you know, transfer, the, the freight market side of things, um, you know, I've got an action-packed sheet of stats. Oh, boy. About oh boy. what's going on with, with stuff out there. I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, but I did want to hit on, you know, the fact that, you know, Northern California, it yeah. kind of gets the short end of the stick. Yeah. Now, the the thing in the freight market that we talk about is how Southern California is extremely, you know, production oriented, a lot more freight going out versus coming in, mm-hmm. even though LA is a huge consumption center, but there's just simply so much volume and that's due to the port and the import activity overwhelming uh, the area, keeping it, you know, pretty satisfied with, you know, in terms of demand for goods in general, but it's also able to, all that excess now goes out into the country. Mm-hmm. So, Good head haul score on the sonar chart. Okay. So a positive head haul value means that there's more freight coming out, going out than coming in. A traditional backhaul market would be something like Miami, yeah, Phoenix, yeah, Seattle. This has a lot more freight coming in than going out. Uh, and that is not, that is absolutely the case with Northern California versus Southern California. So there's, since they don't have a huge, I mean, the port of Oakland up there is, uh, is big. Yeah. But it's only 3.5% the total market share value. So you remember Savannah was third and it was 7.7 yeah, or 7.3%. Well, this one right now is 3.5%. So it's the port size up there. They do not have the import volumes that the Southern uh, California market has. Uh, So therefore it does have a lot smaller um, share of freight coming out of it versus going in the biggest lanes, Reno, which is just across the mountain there, Donner pass, uh, Phoenix, Seattle, the top okay. three uh, lanes from the Sa- San Francisco slash Sacramento markets or Stockton markets in our, in our system. So that's currently about 2.37% of the total outbound volume in the United States. Uh, a lot of that is intrastate. Uh, approximately 54% of that is intrastate yeah. versus 52 on the Southern Cal side. Uh, 26% of the total California outbound volume comes out of those two markets of Stockton and San Francisco. So they're, they're, they're big. Now yeah. the, the rail presence just not remotely close. Again, we don't have the big port. They're about 
of the total outbound volume coming out of LA yeah. in terms of rail volume. Uh, so again, not a big, not just not near the size or scale of the outbound situation. There's a lot more agriculture yeah. uh, coming out of there, which leads me into a big reason that California has grown in size over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of that has to do simply with a lot of the produce shipments. Gotcha. And this is that Fresno area that yeah. I'm talking about. So reefer yeah. volumes uh, are huge out of Fresno. Can you guess what percentage? So uh, uh, just, to, just to set you up a little bit. Uh-huh. So reefer volumes out of Ontario, Los Angeles, approximately 13, 14% of the total outbound volume. Uh, coming out of Sac- uh, Stockton, San Francisco, about 11%. Okay. So what would you guess Fresno reefer outbound activity is? Now, Fresno, just for those of you who don't know, ha- is the Central Valley of California. Lots of produce there. Um, you've got the Salinas Valley that produces all the lettuce and cruciferous stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you have a huge amount. This is, this is more the Mediterranean um, tomatoes mm-hmm. and onions and all that kind of stuff is made in, in the Fresno valleys out yeah. over there. You've got, you know, what is it? Gilroy, the garlic capital, which again, just South of San Francisco, it's not totally Fresno, but a lot of these, uh, plants produce the byproduct of all this produce. Yeah. So you have tomato sauces and, and things like that, that they put in cans, all the fruits, vegetables, asparagus, peaches, name it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Strawberries, huge strawberry, uh, production over there in the central Valley. So, how much reefer volume of of the overall Fresno mm. market? How much of it is by our system's account? I'm going to go with 17%. 45. Wow. 45%. <laughs> and that's based on the national average is roughly, and it, and it fluctuates. And I just pulled these numbers on just recent, like as of today, yeah, yeah. volumes, because I didn't have time to go back throughout the entire year. Uh, but uh, the total market is a roughly in the 15 to 20%. Jeez. And this, this market is heavy reefer. So, Nearly double. Yeah. So, you know, there's tons of produce and reefer activity in that Central Valley, and it operates almost independently yeah. of the rest of, you know, it, that's why I put, pull it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, reefer activity this time of year is, is still relatively decent. Uh, we've seen volumes come down a little bit, but year over year, they're up yeah. slightly at, at this point. Not a lot. Um kind of online with the rest of the market, dry van volumes. Yeah. Um, but we've seen some increases and one of the biggest increases in the, in the country right now is coming out of, you said it earlier, you were talking about it as a destination point. Yuma. Yuma area. Yeah. It's that time of year. There's a salad bowl. <laughs> I remember you talking yeah, about that. This on morning. Freightways now. Uh, yeah, there's a salad bowl down there. So they, there's a specific type of soil. Yeah. That you need to grow this lettuce, uh, broccoli, uh, it's only in like three places in the world that you can do this effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them's over in Europe, in the Mediterranean, where okay. they were born okay. and raised. All your kale, uh, spinach, things like that, they, they grow out of this like volcanic soil. Yeah. And it, it exists in a specific area, the Salinas Valley yeah. in California, and also down around Yuma, Arizona. So it's okay. a very interesting combination of climate and soil uh, that produces this ideal thing. And lettuce is the number one, uh, by value crop, you know, non-grain crop in the United States. If anybody has ordered a salad before, this shouldn't become a huge surprise. Uh, but Yuma, Arizona is the salad bowl for the winter and they produce it for about three months out of the year. And again, regulation actually put this into play. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And, and it's not for the reasons you think, I think this one's actually not the worst, uh, in terms of regulation because, they do this to basically discourage farmers from contaminating the soil with disease and, you know, pests. Mm-hmm. You need to give it time to rest. Yeah. You know, you can't plant the same crop. You've heard about this in your right. elementary school yeah, crop rotation. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not a new thing. Uh, so it's not the worst thing to have happen. But right. every winter for about three months, most of our, our salad uh, stuff, iceberg lettuce. I know anybody that's read any of our stuff for the last year or so would hear about some of the E. coli outbreaks yeah. from the lettuce, uh, romaine lettuce crops. Well, some of that came out of uh, Yuma, Arizona farms down there. And so that's that's where your lettuce comes from over the winter. Yeah. And we're seeing it start to pick up this time of year. All right. I'm, I'm looking at uh, some comments actions here. Uh, 
Are you getting comments? I don't have comments. Emily asked, how are housing starts in San Fran? And Dooner wants to know, is wallpaper coming back in style? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the housing starts in San Fran, not, I mean, so it's a built out market. And mm -hmm. I think, so I think that's one of the areas that people would probably look for that Senate Bill 50 to be a build out to kind of build up instead of out because it's probably already pretty dense and already really expensive. Extremely. Extremely expensive. <laughs> um, Dooner with the wallpaper. I no. I'm an economist, but I'm gonna. Yeah, we're gonna go. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but I think when we're looking at just from the housing perspective, um, the the freight tie-in, and I think some of the things that are going to impact freight volumes when we're looking at housing, especially when we're looking at these limitations and things that are limiting housing. Um, when there's more starts, there's more freight being hauled, usually flatbed. When we're looking at the initial construction of these homes. Um, housing starts are a smaller portion of the overall fine, um, uh, uh, segment for housing. So when you're looking at starts, that's a smaller component. Existing home sales are a larger component. But both, when we're seeing these uh, purchases and sales, both drive freight volume. So when you're buying a house, okay, the initial um, uh, construction materials being hauled throughout the country to that to that site. But um, usually when you buy a house, you fill it up with more um, furniture, appliances, things like that. So there's this downstream effect here that helps going to drive more freight volume, essentially. Um, and, and with existing homes, when people do remodeling, I think remodeling is going to have a pretty significant, uh, or I think a pretty strong uh, year this year. We're looking at remodeling markets and industries, um, especially because the inventory is so tight. I think those that maybe are in the market for a new home might start to remodel. And I think that might contribute to some freight volume as well. Um, thing is, because the inventory is so tight, I think there's going to be less emphasis and less onus on... Um, it will be construction. It'll be more the finishings, right. furnishings, right. remodels. Yeah. I think there's going to be less onus on um, homeowners that are looking to sell as opposed to like in a down housing market. Oh, where uh, they have to remodel it yeah. and get it cleaned up ready yeah. to sell. Yeah, gotcha. so I think there's gonna that's gonna be a little bit of a market shift. But yeah, Dooner, I'm not I'm not really thinking wallpaper is gonna be I don't know why like, that would ever come back. Maybe Marvel wallpaper for like a fanatic <laughs> or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, I can't imagine I I barely remember wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> An open concept kitchen. So, yeah. I mean that's that's the whole thing these 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 days. Um also, real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to um, uh, the Logistics Managers Index. Yeah, um, yeah. So give some background on the Logistics Managers Index. This is a really cool thing that we do here. Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, it's a diffusion index. And so it's, hopefully I don't forget anyone, but <laughs> Arizona State University, Colorado State University, Rochester Institute of Technology, um, Rutgers University of Nevada, Reno, um, and did I say the Rochester Institute of Technology? No. Okay, Rochester Institute <laughs> of Technology. Um, and it's in conjunction with uh, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. Um, so I was able to chat with uh, Zach Rogers, hey Zach, um, <laughs> over there. And so we touched base about, uh, you know, going over the LMI usually once a month. And so what it is, it's, it's similar to the Purchasing Managers Index. And so the LMI is based around the number 50. Um, what they're reading above 50 indicating expansion, anything below 50. It's kind of like the PMI, yeah, but very, for the supply chain management. Yes, exactly. And so um, according to, you know, the most recent release, it hit the slowest rate of growth in the LMI history. So it's, I think, just over two years um, with a reading of uh, 54. So it's still growing. Yeah, just, just at a not, slower rate. Just not fast, which is not, it's not unlike what we haven't, what we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, and other indices, right? And so it's it's compiled of uh, I think it is eight different components like warehousing, warehousing, pricing, transportation, yeah. pricing, capacity, yeah. utilization, um, that. yeah. And so that that means that the you know at least from the aspect combining all of those things because you know last year we saw everybody was thinking okay volumes are down but yeah. there's expanding warehousing yeah there's tons of activity especially yeah. upstream on the supply chain yeah all the imports and everything coming in the expansive uh, amounts of warehousing it may not have impacted over the road trucking in the same way yeah but the overall industry or the space supply chain wise was dramatically impacted right they just not necessarily put it on a truck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so as you mentioned, warehousing pricing is the section that is covered mm -hmm. for the LMI. 
And what we saw in the LMI for the warehousing pricing component is that it was up 4.9 uh, points to a 73.2. So, so it's up there. So we're, we're storing. So are we seeing anything on the inventory side? So inventories were down pretty significantly. Um, and, and one of the things Zach mentioned is that a lot of, there's probably a buildup of a lot of in, inventories uh, to in anticipation of a lot of the trade tension. Mm-hmm. And he, really kind of seeing a burn off effect now. Um, but one of the things that he's, uh, you know, what we talked about with the uh, warehousing thing is that there, the increasing popularity of uh, same day or next day delivery, more facilities being located closer to population centers um, and, and really kind of lends into that more expensive real estate. Um, so warehouses are not being built quick enough to really keep up with the, the, the demand for that. And so that's one of the hypotheses or theories around it that we are really seeing um, an increase in warehousing pricing right now. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Um, so the economy still kind of on that, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of riding the line right now. Yeah. I know, and I know on our tender volume index, uh, we're tracking a very flat number. Year over year, we finally have just lined up with last year. Yeah. Now, this is anticipated. This isn't unexpected. We think that this year will be. I actually think that the volumes will continue to go under last year because we okay. don't have. But things may change here in the future because we are seeing that pesky little L.A. Ontario market yeah. start to kind of pick up a little bit. Now, we have something coming up uh, at the end of the month, Chinese New Year. Right. You know what this is. Yeah. So, basically, everybody goes home for two weeks in China and you don't get to, uh, you know, they don't ship anything. They don't produce anything. Now, yeah. it doesn't hit right away at the end of January. It doesn't hit till like four to six weeks later. Right. So, again, volumes drop dramatically during this period of time out of L.A. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the 24% decline in rail volumes year over year. Yeah. Uh, or not year over year, but m- month over month occurs in about March. Woo. <laughs> am, I, am I hearing things or is that I happening? Not, I don't know if they're hearing it, but we're <laughs> hearing it. Yeah. Uh, 20% down in trucking yeah. outbound LA volumes. Uh, that's what happened last year uh, in response to Chinese New Year. Uh, now, it didn't happen, but for about four weeks after that, and that's when the boats just don't come in. You know, yeah. they're they're done. They don't ship as much vol- container volume and whatnot. So that's that's coming up as well. And that, again, filters through the rest of the country a little bit. Right. It's like ripples on a pond. Yeah. They slowly, they're bigger around the epicenter, and then they kind of diminish as you go out. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's the last thing that I wanted to hit on today, other than the fact that you have something that you were bringing up earlier, Anthony. And, again, if you want to continue this role oh boy. of the villain – you know, that everybody's going to disagree with. I have no problem with it. You're just making my job a lot easier. Well, we just had Marianne pop into the comments. Um, <laughs> and I think she's on your side with this. She had a little bit of a preview right before we came down here. Um, yeah, cheese is overrated. It's, I mean, I mean, what's your premise? Like, what are you? It wh- can't stand alone. So what? Like, it needs a, uh, like, it needs macaroni. So it needs pasta. And you know what macaroni is without cheese? Uh, I don't know. Garbage. No, it's not. It's no. Bland it can be spaghetti. Garbage. No. You know what? So, you know what? You know what? Grilled cheese is without cheese. Bread. Couple that can of, be used for something better. Couple of slices of bread. That can be used for a sandwich. <laughs> That's what cheese is for. Eh, you know what? You know what they do when you go to Subway. What's that? They don't even. They don't even acknowledge the fact that you don't want cheese on it. They just, <laughs> they just ask what kind. They just say what kind of cheese do you want? And it's all the same. <laughs> it's all the same. It's not the same. Like, I Their just, cheese isn't superior, and I'm not defending that. It's pretty weak cheese in general. But yeah. I I can no longer – I can't eat a sandwich, mm. uh, at least a deli meat sandwich, without mm. some form of cheese on it. I can't eat cheese without something else with it. You can't – you've never had like a bite of smoked Gouda? No. What about Havarti? It's all – no, no. I, I, don't, I don't feel like you've actually tried any of these. I had – what does he call it? A charcuterie board or something? Charcuterie. Marianne is not having it. She's saying no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't know. It's not. It's not for me. It's, okay, next time go order a pizza, no cheese. Tell me how that works. Tell me that you loved it and it was far better than your experience with pizza without cheese. Nah. I mean, you hated on the the Chicago. No wonder you didn't like Chicago pizza. Yeah, because it's action packed with cheese. It doesn't and, need that much. So you don't like bacon. No, it's overrated. And I, it's it's okay. Bacon's okay. It's just overrated. So you don't like bacon and you don't like cheese. They're both overrated. 
I just neither of them can stand on their own. This is unbelievable. Bacon, absolutely. <laughs> no way. You can't just have a breakfast and just have bacon. I can. And just be full and content with the with the day. I'm happy. That's going to be at least like you know what seven they do? pounds. What? You know why they wrap bacon on everything? Because it, it's America and that's what we like. But th- Exactly. That is what we like. <laughs> because it is not overrated. Because it's one of the best things that you can it's have. highly overrated. So cheese is cheese. no different. Cheese Fondue is no different. Is, uh... but, but name. All right. What, what's... what's What's better than cheese on a sandwich? Uh, lettuce. Dear God. I mean, I did. I guess we did just spend yeah. an episode talking about <laughs> California and the lettuce, but still, you know what lettuce is there for? Texture. Mm. Gives you a little bit what of crunch. What is cheese there for? Cheese is there for flavor. Uh. Gives you some of that additional flavor, but it's not just like putting salt on something because cheese is very salty in general. Yeah. Uh, but it adds that. It adds a complexity, like a, a definite flavor profile that you get varied from your provolones, your Swiss, your Americans, your cheddars, all have a very unique flavor profile. And you're telling me they're all the same. Essentially, they're all the, this is the same concept. This is and ridiculous. it's overrated. This is ridiculous. It's overrated. Do you like food? Sometimes I wonder. When I, when I tell people my <laughs> opinion, sometimes I wonder. I mean, what's your, what's, what did you have for lunch today? Uh, I had, oh. I went to a Tai Chi place and they had um Didn't eat food. A, a poke bowl, poke bowl or whatever. Is it poke, poke bowl? Poke bowl? Is that it? Yeah. 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 Hockey bowl. Hockey bowl. Hockey bowl. Yeah. bowl. I don't know, but yeah, it was good. Raw fish, no cheese, um, all that good stuff. Rice. You don't have to have cheese on everything that you have, but certainly, like, if you have a hamburger, you want to put cheese on it. Maybe. Rarely. Get some ketchup. Rarely does do people want to get? Do they just say, "Yeah, I don't want cheese on my hamburger"? Yeah. It's pretty standard. Uh, then it's a cheeseburger. Yeah. Eh. And they're better. That's why McDonald's charges 10 cents more. <laughs> <laughs> what a turn this took. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to have to back this into like um, produce season and, and some of these commodities that go by uh, freight, like yeah. cheese. Oh, we are definitely know. doing, once produce. Once I get a sniff of produce season, oh, boy. we are going to destroy produce oh, season. Boy. So you need to... <laughs> But again, produce that you love produce season. You're obviously into not dairy. No, yeah, dairy's overrated. Oh wow, I just the I don't Midwesterners know. are just gonna just be like, you know what? Who is this guy? And I mean, unsubscribes. Yeah, just get him out of the booth. Get him out of the booth. <laughs> he hates bacon and and cheese. I don't. I don't hate. It's just uh, it's like a solid four or five out of ten. Oh wow. Yeah. I've middle of the road. Anybody, middle of the road. Never heard anybody do that. But yeah, when produce season kicks off, I'm gonna let you have it. Okay. I'll let you have it. You're going to pick your top five healthy things or whatever you want to eat. Yeah. You know, that's fine. If you want to live that kind of life, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to let you do your thing. (laughs) Produce season typically happens anytime from, you know, April to June-ish. It was a bit early then delayed last Mm -hmm. year. Like like it started, like we thought it was going to kick off and then it just kind of died out. The timing means everything. Yeah. Because people are. You know, you know in general when it is, but you never know when you're going to get those spikes of harvest because if it rains, they can't get out in the field and harvest all the lettuce. It's basically when they return to California, you know, the Yuma situation that we yeah. were talking about. They move back to California and all this stuff comes out in mass all yeah. at once. Yeah. It takes about a 90 day, 90 to 120 day cycle okay. to grow it. So you have these certain fields that'll pop all at once because all the pent up demand and then it'll just be all on. Yeah. Well, speaking of produce, mm-hmm. last thing. To mention here, I think we're coming up on time. We are. The phase one deal got signed today. Oh, yeah. That is a big um, deal. And that's going to really kind of help out some farmers. And, and China was a big consumer of our produce yeah. until they weren't. Probably not that much of cheese. I got to look into that. <laughs> they were into our pork products. Yeah. 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 Bacon. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not, I mean, so yeah, we'll see. And then we also have the USCMA. Um, uh, deal that should go into potential effect next week, I believe, next Wednesday. So real quick, yeah. what's the net impact in terms of billions of dollars for the segments? For the phase one deal. Phase one deal. I think it's going to be 200 million mm-hmm. um, overall. Let me just make sure I got the right number. So 200 million, uh, I'm sorry, 200 billion mm-hmm. in American goods over the next two years, 50 billion worth of energy, 40 billion for agriculture. 30 to 40, 35 to 45, 35 to 40 billion and services and 75 billion for manufactured products. Um, and so, and, uh, our side, we will be significantly, I think, reducing some section 301 tariffs and, 
in uh, to kind of make that deal a two-way street. Also, it's an intellectual property uh, uh, thing. Yeah, Trump's been big on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think um, many people are saying it's also going to help out China as they're having a growing technological uh, field. So in the future, that should be something to benefit them as well. It's always hard to tell what's going on over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Freightonomics. Thanks, yeah. everyone, for tuning in. Uh, and again, Anthony, thanks for showing up today. Yeah, and, uh, thanks, for, thanks no, for being here. Yeah. No thanks for uh, your opinions on cheese. Yeah, I'll have another hot take for <laughs> you next week. <laughs> okay. Everybody have a good one. See you. I love cheese. Yes. I love cheese in every way. I'm going to fight a Marianne right now.